This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy that grew up wanting to be a jukebox hero, but instead, he's stuck here in the garage with me. He is the captain. And now I'm just a douchebox hero. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking Mo Guava by the fantastic people at Pear O'Dice Brewing Company in Clearwater, Florida, garage grade. Very happy to report four and a half bottle caps out of five. You know, summer is the perfect season for beer and we really are just working our way through some beers that are perfect for summer. And this, my friends, is most certainly one of them. Mo Guava IPA by Paradise Brewing. And this week's beer was brought to us by some of our favorite True Crime Garage Army enlistees. First up, a big, big thank you to Michelle down in Florida. And I'm going to grab my Mo Guavas and jump over the pond to thank Louise from London. Next, we send a high five to Lindsay, a.k.a. Lulu, and where else, Captain, but Parts Unknown. And also in Parts Unknown, we have Chelsea, who says cheers to Mina. Chelsea obviously referencing the Boys on the Tracks episode and probably being... Quite sarcastic there, Captain. I prefer a hand hugs these days over high fives. Next up, today's case takes place in Chicago, so we have Silas from Chicago who bought us around for this week's show. And last but not least, a big thank you to Judith in Deschler, Nebraska. So thanks to everybody for filling up the fridge for this week. If you want to buy us around for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. A couple announcements from Parts Unknown. The mowing schedule has changed this week. So instead of on Wednesday, it'll be Thursday. And also, we had some some things with the drinking fountains. I think little Timmy peed on one of the drinking fountains. So we're cleaning that, and they'll be up and running by next week. Well, there's always something exciting going on at Parts Unknown. There's always something exciting going on at TrueCrimeGarage.com. So check out the website. All right, let's grab a chair. And grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. <laughs> 
This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of Jesse Ross. Each year, hundreds of thousands of people are reported missing in the United States. Many of them are adults. Almost all of the cases are quickly cleared. The person is located, everything is fine, they are safe, and all of the prayers have been answered. Sometimes, this is not the case. And sometimes, we are left looking. The family members and the loved ones don't stop looking. They don't stop asking where, why, and how. This is one of those stories. November 2006, 19-year-old University of Missouri-Kansas City student Jesse Ross is participating in a university field trip. He, along with 13 other university students and a faculty sponsor, drove over 500 miles to Chicago, Illinois for a model United Nations conference. This event drew more than 1,000 college students from all over the country. On Monday, November 20th, Jesse phoned his mother just to let her know that he was having a blast and really enjoying his time at the model UN conference. He promised to call again the next day when he and the other students and their sponsor loaded up the vans for their return drive home. November 20th was to be the final day of the conference and it was going to be a busy one. The Four Points Sheraton Hotel located in downtown Chicago hosted the event. To celebrate the final day, there were parties throughout the hotel and a dance for the students. After the dance, there was a mock emergency meeting called about 1 a.m. By now, it's very early Tuesday morning, November 21st. Around 2.30 a.m., this is about 12 hours after Jesse last called his mother, he got up from his chair and walked out of the meeting room for a 30-minute break. A surveillance camera in the hotel lobby caught the image of the red-haired Jesse, clad in a white t-shirt, jeans, and a green warm-up jacket, walking toward the hotel's main doors. This was the last trace ever of 19-year-old Jesse Ross. The 10-minute walk back to the Sheraton Chicago Hotel and Towers, where Jesse and the group was staying, was well-lit, heavily traveled, and covered by outdoor security cameras. None of them recorded Jesse. Chicago police have found no evidence that he was a victim of foul play. There has been no activity on Jesse's credit cards or his cell phone since he disappeared into the Chicago night. With no explanations, with no evidence, is it possible 19-year-old Jesse Ross vanished into thin air? Jesse Ross is a Caucasian man. He would have turned 30 years old earlier this year. He is 5 foot 10 inches tall and weighs approximately 140 pounds. He has red or auburn hair color, which he kept cut short. Jesse has blue eyes and wore glasses. He has freckles. 
Jesse was last seen wearing a white t-shirt, green warm-up jacket, blue jeans, and black tennis shoes. If you have any information, or if you have seen Jesse Ross, please call the Chicago Police Department. This is True Crime Garage. And this is the case of Jesse Ross. Jesse Warren Ross, nicknamed Opie because of his, as his mother says, fire engine red hair, mm-hmm. uh, like the Ron Howard character Opie from the TV show, the uh, Andy Griffin show, f- famous Andy Griffin show. Yes. Uh, Jesse was born on February 18th, 1987. He grew up in your typical household, you know, mom, dad, and a brother. As a young dude, Jesse loved to play all kinds of sports. He was a big, big Kansas City Chiefs fan, a big uh, KU basketball fan. Uh, in high school, Jesse worked at a movie theater. And I thought this was pretty cool. I always wanted to work at a movie theater. But mm-hmm. Jesse worked with his uh, brother, Andy, at the movie theater as well. Jesse became involved with a local band called Dead Giveaway. He would help the band with many different things. Some of these things were organizing concerts and booking gigs for them. So more of a manager type thing, not a just a street team member. Yeah. So you and I are used to this, and and you more than than I am. But uh, you know, back in the day, you'd have people that would help out your band. They were friends of the band. You know, they mm-hmm. might they might offer to be like a crew member and help carry things and load vans or pass out flyers and go to area places and and pass out flyers to advertise your concerts. But he was actually involved to the point where he was booking concerts, arranging events, which you and I know is not an easy thing to do. It can be very time consuming. It can be quite chaotic uh, to say the least. Anyway, he graduated high school in 2005 and received an academic scholarship based off of his ACT score. After high school, Jesse attended UMKC University of Missouri, Kansas city, majoring in communications with a minor in politics. Uh, he skipped that computer course. That's so famous here on our show. Yeah. Uh, into- you gotta, gotta make sure you sign up early. <laughs> he probably couldn't get, he probably couldn't get signed up early enough to get a seat in the computer class. In 2005, he went to Chicago uh, to the mock UN convention. Mm-hmm. Afterward, uh, Jesse became an intern at 95.7 The Vibe, a popular Kansas City radio station. They, <laughs> I love the names of these radio stations. Yeah. The Vibe. Does that sound to you like a top 40 station? Yeah. It sounds a little top 40. Yeah, or maybe uh, it's, it's geared to the urban community vibe the uh they created an on-air personality for jesse as part of the morning show Mm -hmm. uh they called him opie cunningham and oddly enough this is going to seem very strange because we all know about the disappearance but oddly enough they did a segment called where's opie and they Mm. would send him to different locations to do like a remote broadcast right and then listeners people would call in and try to guess where he was uh, this was a bit of a regular segment on the show. Very strange. Mm-hmm. Just a short time before his disappearance, he did receive a promotion at the radio station, and he was going to become a paid employee or a paid on-air personality. Right, and we're not very clear on this, and I don't know if it matters much, but 
you know, there's kind of a different thing as far as like radio shows go. I mean, you can get paid hourly or you could get paid per show. Mm-hmm. So, but either way, it's a really big deal for them to want you to sit in a room and pay you pretty good money to sit in a room and have fun. And most of us not having worked in that area wouldn't know that. But what, what they call, what the captain's referring to is you could get paid for like, let's say we're going to pay you 50 bucks if you're on today's show. And then Mm -hmm. tomorrow you're not on the show. So you don't get paid anything. And what they call that is, you know, show money uh, for the most part. And, and that can be, you know, they, his parents and his, his loved ones, and I can't, I'm not going to go against the grain here and say that they're wrong, but there's, they state that this is a dream job for, for Opie or for Jesse. And I, and I believe that it was, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, that's what he's majoring in college. But when, when, when we read about this case and look into this case, I don't want anybody to get confused when they hear the loved ones stating dream job and think that, that. Jesse's making a hundred thousand dollars a year right and he has no plans of doing anything else this this is certainly a step in the right direction as far as where he wants his career to go mm-hmm. and I tell you what captain you got to take your hat off to Jesse here because that's a pretty young age to achieve that accomplishment well yeah and a lot of people said a lot of people that worked with him said he's very uh, quick-witted mm-hmm. and um, you know that's something that that's something that you can't just train. Mm-hmm. You know, it seemed like he just had it. I mean, he was pretty young when he gets this position. And I don't want to, you know, after I pumped everything up, I don't want to piss anybody's Cheerios here. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, yeah, he received this this promotion. And unfortunately, the promotion was pegged to start in January of 2007. Um, well, in November of 2006 is when he would take that trip once again to Chicago for this UN conference. Well, backing up just a little bit, just so we get a good background before we go into the actual events of that evening, Mm -hmm. he was pledging a fraternity, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah, just kind of pointing out that he uh, did have a play side to him. Yeah, he's not all work and no play. And just a little background as far as his personality goes, according to his parents and brother, uh, Jesse was, was very close with his father and his mother and brother, very close with his family. Uh, and they all describe him to be somebody that was a bit fearless. Uh, the kind of kid that would try anything that could walk into any room and wasn't mm-hmm. afraid of anything or to talk to anybody. Uh, they also pegged him as a bit of a practical joker. You know, he liked to play little pranks on on his, uh, friends and, and loved ones. Uh, these were harmless pranks, of course, but, uh, you know, just, just fun in nature. And they think that that's why he excelled so well at his job with, uh, Shorty and the boys. You said that was the name of the radio show, yeah, the morning Shorty show. and the boys morning show. I, I'm guessing Welcome to Shorty and the boys. I'm guessing that Shorty is the host and he's surrounded by this cast of characters of boys. Of boys. Uh, and you know, they said and that's spelled why with a Z. Why Jesse, or as his on-air personality, Opie Cunningham, excelled at that gig because that's kind of a, a bit of a prank in itself, or a little bit of hijinks. You know, you you're out hiding somewhere, you're broadcasting from some location other than the radio station, and people have to call in and guess where you are. Yeah, the boys. So the we Z. we want to go through the disappearance um, mm-hmm. a little more in depth than before, um, but before we start. Uh, to consider the possibilities, let's make sure we go through that as as best we can so we can figure out what happened to Jesse here. Right. So what you're saying is we're going to go through the actual events. We're not really going to 
you know, bring up the theories as we're bringing up these events. Correct. But we're all we're going to point out some things that we find odd with the different events. So this is day four of his trip. And remember, they had gone, he had gone the previous year. So he's not strange to the city of Chicago. This trip is not strange to him. But at this time, Jesse was is, it in Chicago the year before? Yes, it was. Uh, Jesse at this time is a sophomore at the university. He is among 1,200 college students from around the country who attended this conference at the Sheraton Hotel on North Water Street in downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. He disappeared on the final day of the conference. And by the time the police were alerted, most of the students were on their way back home. Now, Donald Ross, this is Jesse's father, he recalls dropping off his son at school before dawn the day before the day that he left for the conference. He recalls Jesse talking with friends in the parking lot as he drove away. And of course, now he wishes he would have stopped for one last goodbye with his son. So four days later, the day their son was to return home, Don Ross got a call from his son's professor saying that he couldn't find Jesse. Now, Derek Moorhead was the professor who had called Jesse's father. He was in his first year as a political science professor at UMKC, Mm -hmm. and it was his first time chaperoning the conference. Jesse Ross was one of 14 UMKC students on the trip, And Moorhead recalls that during the drive, they listened to Jesse's CDs on the way there. Jesse had told his professor that he wanted to deliver some of these CDs to Chicago radio stations, hoping it might lead to some kind of career breakthrough. On their last night in Chicago, Moorhead said that Jesse and a friend from school, Ralph Parker, attended a dance hosted by the conference organizers and a party in a hotel room where alcohol was served. They got called to a late-night meeting at the Model UN's Security Council. Parker later told Moorhead and police, according to reports, that Jesse had left the meeting room after 2 a.m., probably closer to 2.30 a.m. Parker confirmed that Ross had been drinking, but said that he did not appear to be intoxicated. Now, no hotel security footage showed Ross leaving the hotel, though a security camera had caught him entering the building earlier that evening. Mm -hmm. Other students told Moorhead that Jesse could have left through a staff door that the conference goers had used, but out of range of these security cameras. Well, they had surveillance of him coming into the conference or or to this emergency meeting, Mm -hmm. but they also have footage of him leaving as well. There's footage of him in that corridor yeah they not actually leaving the hotel building itself but standing or moving in the direction of the exits right uh moorhead said that parker told him that he had assumed that ross had returned to the hotel remember we said that ross left this meeting now parker's a part of this meeting as well he mm-hmm. says that jesse gets up at around 2 30 and leaves the meeting assuming he's going back to their hotel room parker shares the room with him Parker didn't realize that Ross wasn't in bed until the following morning. Yeah, I believe his claim was that there was some stuff on the bed. Mm -hmm. So he kind of assumed that that was Jesse and he just went to bed. Now, at first sight, Captain, this seems a little strange, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because you're like, how how does this guy go to Chicago with this other guy, share a room, hotel room with him and not notice that the guy's not in his bed when he gets back at the place. 
Well, I mean, again, it depends on if he turns on the light or not. I think you're exactly right because the thing here is you you got a couple different kinds of people in this world. There's the there's one kind of person that will share a room with somebody and no matter how late it is, how dark it is outside, even if the person is in a dead sleep, mm-hmm. the person will open up the hotel room door, turn on all the lights, turn on the TV, use the restroom and then go to bed 10 minutes later, disturbing the other person. Then you have other people that are very, you know, cat-like there and considerate of the person that they're sharing the room with. And they'll come in. Cats are not considerate of anybody. Well, I meant cat like as being quiet. Right. You know, we're going to tiptoe around and we're going to go in and we're going to make sure we don't wake up our friend because he's sleeping. He's perp. You know, he came back here for a reason and that was to sleep. We have to get up and leave in the morning tomorrow. I want to make sure that, you know, I don't disturb him, you know, treat him the way I would want to be treated. So I don't find this to be, you know, crazy uh, that, that he didn't notice that his friend was not in the bed or in the hotel room that night. Well, and I wonder what his level of toxication was mm-hmm. intoxication was. So, or, mean, how, or how dogged tired was he by this point, by the time he came back from, from this emergency meeting? Well, a couple things. One, um, so I'm guessing that the dance was a sponsored event. Yes. Then my other question would be the, were the hotel parties a sponsored event as well, or were they just student based uh, parties. I can't say for 100% either way, but here's my gut feeling. Everything that I read sounds like the dance was a planned sponsored event. Mm-hmm. As far as the hotel room parties, that sounds to me like something that the the kids and the college kids created and came up with on their own. It only seems natural. You get 1,200 college kids from all over the country going to Chicago, a big, big city, there's going to be hotel parties, whether there's a sponsored dancer or, or right, anything at all. And there's 1,200 kids, but how many of these kids are 18 and 19 years old? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that underage drinking doesn't happen, but you have to have somebody that you know supplies uh, the booze or the liquor. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing here is, Captain. Let's talk. Do you want to talk about this meeting a little, a little bit? Because at first glance, when you scratch the surface here, you're like. What are these, I understand he's an adult, he's 19 years old, but what are these kids doing having a meeting? Uh, who 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 organizes this thing where they decided that we're going to have some kind of meeting at two in the morning? Yeah, well, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, maybe you'd say a 18, 19 year old was adult, but let's not say that now. I mean, it's just a different time. I mean, this is, these are still kids um, and they're putting them at a, in a meeting so late at night. And again, where the conferences are, where the meetings are, are not actually connected to their hotel room. Right. So we got to walk about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then this is Chicago, murder capital of the world, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if uh, the world, but uh, it's certainly in the, it's in the conversation. Um, so the meeting itself was, as it, has, as it was described to me, was technically, they say it's an emergency meeting that was called. This was actually a planned event. This was something that the the students that were asked to go this to this thing were aware of it in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, most reports will tell you that the meeting started at 2 a.m. and then they took a 30-minute break around 2.30 a.m. I don't find that to be accurate. Um, according to Jesse's mother, the meeting started around 1 a.m., which would make a little more sense. You you shouldn't have a half hour into a meeting need a half hour break. 
Um, so around 1 a.m., this, this meeting. Well, that's how I run things. This meeting that was. 30 minutes work, 30-minute coffee break, 30-minute work, 30-minute coffee break. This meeting that was planned, uh, they're going to they're gonna work on whatever project, this emergency meeting. Emergency meeting for a fake UN meeting. For an hour and a half, and right. then they're going to have a half-hour break. And one conversation. And then they're that, kind of, yeah, but it's weird here, too, because they keep on talking about this 30-minute break, but it seems like everybody left. Once they had the break anyways, hmm. uh, there's 30 people, 30 students in this meeting. Now, you know, you and I wondered, well, what time was this meeting going to be over with? What time were you going to send these kids home and back to their hotel rooms? Um, it could have been, we, we really have no idea, but the, the, the only thing I could come up with, because it seems like if you're going to take a 30 minute break that you have an, an additional hour and a half of stuff to do once you get back from this break. Right, and so this is on the Monday, and there's a bunch of questions here, and there's going to be a bunch of blurry stuff here, and one of the reasons for that is this meeting was, this emergency meeting was taking place basically on that Tuesday, right? The day that they're going to leave. Well, they didn't really notice that Opie was missing until uh, like 3 p.m., 5 5 p.m., something like that. And and so by then we got twelve hundred students. Most of them have already left and on their way uh, back home, back to the their university. So the amount of people that the uh, Chicago PD could actually question wasn't all that great. Well, let's go through that real fast. Okay, so what the way that this goes down here is that Parker returns to the hotel room. We don't have a time for that. But whatever time he returns to the hotel room, he doesn't. He assumes that Jesse Ross is in the bed next to his bed in the hotel room. Uh, he realizes in the morning that Jesse was not in that bed. It, it was a pile of clothes that must have confused him. Mm-hmm. Um, he does report this to Moorhead, who is the sponsor. He's the chaperone. And at first, Moorhead tells Parker, you know, maybe Jesse had slept in another student's room. Hey, 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 hey. So the students sharing a room with Jesse didn't notice he was missing until the following day. The roommate had come back to the hotel. There mm-hmm. was a pile of clothes on the bed. Jesse was sleeping and the roommate simply mistook the pile of clothes to be Jesse in the room as it was dark. When the roommate woke up in the morning in the light of day, he, you know, he knows. Well, here's the other thing too about college campuses and like most of a lot of college students have spent time in dorms. And, you, and it's a whole different environment, the way you have to deal with your roommate. You're so close, and and you kind of have to, like, not really pay attention to what they're doing all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, they could have a girlfriend over, and you just kind of have to act like you don't notice anything. Well, you so, got to give so, each other a little space. You right. know, everybody's so trying I'm, to live. I, I'm just saying, as far as the college mindset, if, if, if these guys have shared dorm rooms before, it, this wouldn't be out of the spectrum that this guy didn't really notice that he wasn't there the night before. So we, so we have Moorhead thinking that Jesse may have crashed at another student's room. Uh, we have his roommate Parker. He actually believes that that there's a possibility that Jesse got up early that morning and left and went somewhere else. Um, he has no evidence of this other than again, he thinks he saw Jesse sleeping in the bed the night before. One thing that is widely reported is that when Jesse failed to return to the room that day, mind you, this is the day that they're leaving to go home, that his roommate, this guy Parker, he packs up Jesse's suitcase. So in most cases, according to the roommate, 
It's reported that, that he, Jesse doesn't come home the night before. He doesn't mention that Jesse's missing. And then all of a sudden, when it comes time to leave with the rest of the group, he decides that it's in everybody's best interest to just willy nilly pack up Jesse Ross's luggage and bring it down to the van. And then he informs the chaperone that Jesse's missing. But Captain, we know that that's not the case, right? I mean, yeah, the case is that the chaperone helped him pack it up. Yeah, and it was the chaperone's decision to pack up Jesse's items uh, when it was when it came time to leave. I think it's just a little irresponsible on the reporting angle on it because to me that makes Parker seem like a shady character. It seems it it, it would make him prime suspect for me. Yeah, well, I think I think a lot of times when somebody goes missing, they don't. A lot of people don't want it to just to be an accident. Mm-hmm. They, they they actually want some kind of weird. Nef- you know, nefarious thing to be happening. Mm-hmm. So what actually happened was at the, at the request of the chaperone with the assistance of the chaperone, the two guys together packed up Jesse's belongings. It was then that Moorhead, the chaperone, he alerted the conference organizers that the student was missing. Uh, and he asked them to ask around to see if any of the students had seen Jesse when they still couldn't find him, they called the hotel security. And that's when that's when he knew that things weren't going well, the chaperone said. At 4 p.m., he walked to the nearest police station and mm-hmm. he filed a report. Then he called Donald Ross and he said to him, Sir, I cannot find your son. Let's get right back into this after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot garage. 
This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out betterhelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer. Thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like calorie smart protein plus and keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers, Captain. 
So we have the chaperone who has reported Jesse Ross as missing to the police. By that time, Moorhead has sent the rest of the students home, but he decided to stay behind to assist the police. He's getting increasingly worried by this time, and he remembers walking the streets around the hotel, checking the dumpsters and the alleys, looking for Jesse. Now, he's already notified the parents, uh, mm-hmm. but bad weather, they, they received some bad weather. It was cold. I mean, it's November at Chicago. Um, they received some bad weather that delayed the Ross's arrival into Chicago, but eventually they came to meet with the police and they spent the first of several visits hanging posters and circulating flyers looking for their son. I want to get to a couple of, of, of things a little bit down the road to give you a bigger picture of everything before we get into some of the possibilities of what could have happened to Jesse or where Jesse could be. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly enough, uh, the roommate, the, the, the man, the college student that shared a room with Jesse Ross on that trip in 2006, uh, Ralph Parker, he died a few years afterwards. Uh, this would be in a car accident. Um, several years after Jesse's disappearance, uh, the chaperone, um, the, the sponsor Moorhead, mm-hmm. he took a job teaching at another Missouri university Um, He reluctantly agreed to help with the school's model UN club. Uh, He did not want to attend any of the conferences. It was my understanding that his agreement that he had made uh, with, with this other university was that he would participate in this UN club, but he would not go or attend or chaperone the conferences. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a situation that at a last minute, situation where a chaperone had a family emergency and Moorhead had to step in against his best wishes. Uh, On the second day, on the second day of this trip where Moorhead had to step in, Mm -hmm. he got a phone call that one of his students was missing. And he states that all he could do, once he received this phone call, all he could do was go to the bathroom and and throw up. I mean, he he was that distraught over what had happened with the Jesse situation I mean, this guy, he's being put through the ringer here. Um, the student was later found that morning. Um, the rest of the conference went on without an incident, uh, but Moore had decided that he could never, ever do that again. And he would eventually leave college-level teaching altogether. Uh, Moorhead also said that he is extremely uneasy uh, with his own children and any time that his children are somewhere without him. And he struggles to let his daughter go away uh, on trips. And she is scheduled to be going away. uh, I'm sorry, when she was getting ready to go to college herself, this was something that he had a lot of issues and a lot of things to work through. Right. It was a traumatic experience for him. At first, Captain, the police speculated that Jesse, who had been reportedly drinking, Um, might had fallen into the Chicago River near the hotel. Now, uh, the Rosses aren't convinced of this. Their theory is that Jesse left the meeting and he might have wanted to walk back to the other hotel where he was staying. This would have taken him in the opposite direction of the river. They believe that on his way back to his hotel, Mm -hmm. that he could have met with foul play on the way. Now, the timing and the circumstances of this of Jesse Ross's disappearance proved to be challenging from the start for the for Sergeant Rizzo, 
who was the person responding to the call, and the detectives who worked for him. R-I-Z-Z-O. That's right. Uh, The report came in two days before Thanksgiving, um, and potential witnesses at the hotel had already gone home. Uh, There was no crime scene to work with, is Mm -hmm. what Rizzo states. So let's touch on that for a little bit here, Captain. You had touched on this earlier, where you stated, you know, the police show up on this situation. You have a thousand to twelve hundred kids coming in from all over the country, and now you have you have police showing up to take statements, to take reports, to look over the scene, and all these people have gone home by this time. Right, in very far parts of the country. Yeah, it's not like they're just they're down the street or in a neighboring suburb. These are people that, I mean, Jesse and his group traveled over 500 miles to get there. Mm -hmm. We have students coming in from all over the country. How is he supposed to, to meet with these people? How are they supposed to interview these people? Well, there's this thing called a phone. Start with <laughs> well, that. obviously he would get a manifest from both from all the hotels in the area and start to talk to these people. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I've often wondered about Jesse's case, when you have people coming in from all over the country, it, there's probably a decent possibility that there were people on that trip and it was a significant amount of time that would pass before they would even know that somebody that had attended the same conferences they had had disappeared right because they a lot of them left before it was even announced Mm -hmm. so i mean the fact that they're not even you know calling the police till you know the p.m most of these students are leaving in the a.m yeah well and the other thing too like rizzo says there's no crime scene really to work with you know they don't know yeah it's not like they found the giant puddle of blood on the way back to the hotel Mm -hmm. and as far as tracking down surveillance footage of this guy he's last seen in the hotel as we said moving in the direction of the hotel exits yet they don't even know they can't confirm that that's the last sighting of him you know they can't confirm where he went from from that time well and the statements made is that if he was returning from the conference or this emergency meeting to his hotel room that it was well lit it would have been about a 10 minute walk and that there was surveillance cameras all along this path now, there would also be surveillance cameras in his hotel room, and I don't see any evidence that they collected either one of those. Yeah, they state that there was no trace of him along the way back to his hotel or arriving at his hotel. Right, but that that's evening. that's something that you can also make a claim that, uh, yeah, we didn't see him on any of the stuff that we didn't collect. Mm-hmm. Uh, to my recollection, there is no surveillance footage out there of, of this night after 2.30, so you know, collect, collect it and have it be played so people can see it. But I don't think they collected it. That's a good question there, captain. The other thing here, the other hurdle that you have to work with is Jesse's technically an adult, you know, and we all know that this can be a problem for the investigation because an adult can willingly want to go missing, can want to pick up roots and not move on elsewhere a school trip and start elsewhere. Um, Rizzo did state, Sergeant Rizzo did state that even though Jesse was technically an adult, uh, the case was being treated as a high priority case because the young man was from out of town and possibly because he's from a university and it's this big, um, conference, the UN conference, which you claim that they had it the year before in Chicago. 
Um, but you also claim that Jesse would have been familiar with Chicago just because he was at the UN conference before. I claim that he's only familiar with, you know, whatever conference room he was in. Well, I, it wasn't like he was, you know, hey, well, let's go to Chicago and, and we're here for the UN meeting, this fake UN meeting. And then, you know, that they do a ton of shopping or whatever. I, I'm sure they allow him a little bit of time to experience Chicago. But, uh, you know, not when you're having emergency meetings at, uh, you know, 1 a.m. I didn't mean to imply that he was a man of the town, you know, that he knew the ins and outs of Chicago. He knew the good areas and the bad areas. I just wanted to point out that it was not a strange trip to him. He had attended the same event the year before. It's a four-day trip, four-night trip. What can you learn about a city in four nights? And as you stated very busy. It's they probably keep them pretty occupied while they're there. I actually question their judgment on having an emergency meeting so late, especially when the conference rooms aren't connected to the hotel rooms. One thing that I questioned here, Captain, was was Sergeant Rizzo's statements. Now, I do want to point out that Rizzo has been he's since retired and he's he stated that this is one of the cases that he can't let go of. This one bothers him. This really bothers him that a college student came to his city and was unable to return home to his family. Yeah, but does that bother him, or is that just what he's telling the public? Um, you know, this one's this I, one bothers me, guys. Well, I can't I can't polygraph the guy. All I can do is go off of what he is telling the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that that you know, I I'm I'm a blue blood guy, and I back up his statement about it's very difficult to walk into a situation where you have no witnesses that you can you can speak with immediately. You can't even speak to Parker, who shared a room with him, when you arrive at the scene. All you have is this chaperone and whoever happens to be still hanging around after this UN conference breaks up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have his back on that statement. I find it a little strange, though, that he says that, you know, the report came in two days before Thanksgiving. Well, Deal with it, you know, like, I'm sorry The you know, the, right. these crimes and people, bad things happen to good people, regardless of what's on the calendar. Um, I don't, I would like to know what he meant by that. Does that mean that there's a lot of people coming into the city or a lot of people leaving the city? Maybe it had nothing to do with the holiday. Maybe it was more about the travel that, that circulates around the holiday. Um, uh, maybe I, I would have liked him to elaborate on that because it sounds like a bit of a, a lazy answer. Um, the police did receive hundreds of tips, um, but everything turned up empty. According to Sergeant Rizzo, the Kansas city police, they did help track down and interview some of Ross's fellow students. Uh, Rizzo says investigators gave it their all and there is just nothing there. There's nothing to go on. Mm-hmm. Not a surveillance camera image, nor witnesses who might have seen Ross. So with no surveillance camera image of him or no eyewitnesses seeing him, I guess it's up to us, Captain, to prove, you know, is this something that's useful to the case to determine what happened to Jesse Ross? Or is it something that is, you know, just leading to more questions? The case itself, it has received some national attention over the years. It was featured on both the Nancy Grace show and America's Most Wanted. Um, both Top sh- mom. Yeah. <laughs> both shortly after Jesse Ross had disappeared. Well, and there's not a lot of information about this case. So you have to kind of dig deep and then the rest becomes speculation. 
So again, if you don't like speculation, probably at this point, you might want to turn off the show. You know, run from the garage. Run for your <laughs> lives. I'm, so, I'm, I got a whole can of gasoline and speculation. I'm lighting this motherfucker on fire. All right. All right. So um, as we said, the case has received some national attention, and that has brought along with it a lot of people looking into this case and a lot of people coming up with their own theories about what has happened to Jesse Ross and why we can't find him. Captain, should we list out those theories before we dive into each one of them? Sure. So the theories are this. Um, these are the, the possibilities are suicide or that Jesse simply walked away to start a new life somewhere. Um, the police theory that we had talked about was that Jesse had fallen into the river. Mm -hmm. um, the parents theory was that possibly he had attempted to return to his hotel uh, and was met with foul play. There's also some talk that he may have uh, wanted to go elsewhere, um, that maybe he wanted to go downtown Chicago for some reason, but this would have resulted in foul play as well. Um, there's the possibility that there was a hotel room incident or accident, and this would be at the hotel room, that, the hotel that was hosting the conference itself, not where he was staying. Um, and then there's always the question and always the thought of possible foul play from someone in the group that he was traveling with or someone in this model UN group conference, uh, someone attending from another city or state. All right. So the first theory that you brought up was suicide. So maybe we should start there. Mm -hmm. Well, it, with this theory, so that he would have gone on this trip with with a group of friends or college, you know, uh, people that peers and, and, and decided to commit suicide while on the trip. It just feels wrong. Right, Captain? It feels wrong. We have the parents stating well, that... Well, a lot of suicides are not planned, so... We have... It's not like you have to plan it out three days in advance. So it's it's still a possibility. Of course it's a possibility. Everything's a possibility at this point. We have no idea what happened to the poor young man. Uh, his parents stating that, you know, he had just received a promotion, something that they believed he was eager about, something that he was working hard toward mm -hmm. um this seems to be a, a good thing right captain it also seems to be a good thing that he was on this trip he's attending for the second time um probably something that he enjoyed doing he's a young man in college he's got his whole life ahead of him and i know in the grand scheme of things that doesn't mean anything right i mean because yeah. i mean that this is a tough situation anyways because i mean look at like the singer of lincoln park i mean one of the things that they keep bringing up is the fact that he bought the house that he, you know, he, he hung himself in his house and the, the, he bought his house that he hung himself in two months earlier. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be this family home and it's away from everything. And so this is some kind of evidence of somebody making plans for his life and making plans for the future. Um, but this is not how normal suicides work anyways. I mean, again, like I said, there's not a lot of planning. So I think you have to look at what was happening uh, before with Jesse hmm. and if there was any signs I mean one of the things that I thought was really interesting when I, I was actually talking to a, a cop about this he said that you know one of the weirdest things he finds is a lot of the suicides that they, like they you know have to um, investigate they find out that the the male victims um, will have their hair cut that day hmm. so you know kind of showing a sign that some of this is just a split second decision um, so, but in this case, 
I don't think Jesse, whether or not he's getting a promotion, whether or not he's doing good in school, I don't think he had much of a sign of, of any depression or at least talking about this with his family or friends. And I know a lot of people with depression that never bring this up to their family members at all. But again, there's no evidence of this beforehand. Well, on the flip side of that coin, uh, you know, it's it's often been stated with people that commit suicide that it, it's not uncommon to see women do their hair in a special way, put on a, a, a nice outfit, do right. their makeup. Um, and maybe with the men thing, getting their hair cut that day, that it is on the flip side could be a sign of some form of planning because, you know, they say that, that, that ladies tend to want to make sure that they are looked, that they look a certain way after they pass that, that when they're discovered that they're remembered uh, with a certain image. Right. Um, the thing with the the suicide though, captain here is where is he? You would, you would think that the, and it, you know, you would think that you would find him, you would find his body, right. you know, <laughs> we knew where he's at. Right. I mean, have if, these two episodes, but no, it's, it's the weirdest thing as far as like missing person reports, you know, anytime people want to speculate, you have to bring up the possibility of suicide, but, um, it never makes any sense to me because, you, you, like you said, you'd find the body. Yeah, I mean, uh, somebody doesn't die and then go bury themselves. You know, you unless he jumped off a bridge into the river. Right, right. Which and and that's and that is a real possibility. It's it's a possibility. It's a uh, because I mean because we're talking about this this river which goes uh, through the city and then shoots back out into Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. I mean, this would have been cold. I mean, the temperature that night was anywhere from like 29 degrees to 44 degrees, roughly 7 to 13 mile uh, miles an hour um, wind. So this guy jumping into water, uh, that's but again, his, his, his family, look, a lot of times too, I mean, you know, family and friends will say, well, I didn't see this coming. But uh, again, I don't know if something snapped. I, I wonder how much he was drinking. But again, it doesn't seem like there's a bunch of evidence to point that he had much in the way of of any type of depression. It seems like he had a more of a positive demeanor, but he was also funny. And sometimes you find with comedians that they're masking that they're masking their depression, um, hiding that from people by using their, you know, comedy chops. And as you've said and pointed out many, many times, depression is not something that's easily spotted. Um my gut tells me no, and, and, and you know, you said you mentioned the river, so I will say outside of the possibility of, of jumping in the river, then I think with the suicide, my biggest question would be, where is he? We would have found him, I believe, by this point, if that is what, in fact, happened. Yeah, so basically on that theory, I think both of our guts are saying, hey, this is um, probably most not most likely. Yeah, if you were to create a scale of likely to most unlikely, I would put that more towards the unlikely side, probably on the very far end of the unlikely side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Captain, we also have the possibility that Jesse Ross walked away, that he maybe wanted to start a new life for himself. Uh, this always comes up in these type of cases when when we have no evidence of somebody or where they are, or what happened to them, where they went, um, you know, do you see anything here that, that points toward he may have wanted to walk away or start a new life? Well, no. I mean, because one, he's involved with the radio station. He's going to college. The other thing, he's on this trip. Um, 
you know, for this mock UN thing. This is somebody that's making steps in their life to, you know, he's trying to create a good life and to just go, eh, I'm just going to walk away. Mm-hmm. He does seem pretty career oriented with long-term goals and setting things up in the right steps and putting everything into its place to get him to, to the point where he can reach some of those goals. And as you said earlier, there's a short-term goal. He was pledging for a fraternity, mm-hmm. you know, and this sounds like something giving his personality, a very outgoing person, a person that was described as fearless, uh, somebody, a bit of a prankster. Um, He's social. Yeah. It seems, seems like something he would really be uh, looking forward to. Um, there was a couple of things that, that I did find a little strange that, that I wanted to dive into regarding uh, the possibility, did he walk away? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that his mother had talked about, about his personality and about some of his hopes and wishes was he did mention to his mother and to his father from time to time that he was hoping to, uh, that, that, that there would be something that would take him out of Kansas City. That, that something that would, you know, some big reason for him to move at some point. Uh, <laughs> right, but you go to the UN trip, you fall in love with Chicago, and you come back home and you go, hey, parents, I'm moving to Chicago. Well, and the other thing here is we have the situation with the CDs. You know, we have the chaperone saying, well, he created these mixes and these CDs for us to listen to on our way to the trip. And he was he said that he was hoping if he had enough time during this trip that he would go to some Chicago radio stations and give them some of uh, his work that he had done. Maybe it could lead to some kind of breakthrough in his career. But like you said, that's that's your motive to go downtown, but that's not your motive to walk away from your life. Right. Exactly. That you, it it would be strange for someone to go missing to, to want to start a career in a new life in the city that they went missing from. I understand that Chicago is a big city, but however, like you said, that's when you call mom and dad or you go back home and you tie up loose ends and you say, mom, dad, I did it. I, I got that. I got this cool job in Chicago and I'm really looking forward to taking it. Um, so I, I think the thing here is, you know, the, the famous thing, wanting something to take him from the city. He's close to his parents. He's obviously close to his brother. This doesn't mm-hmm. seem to me like this seems like things that he would want to share with I mean, his he, family. He called his mother on his own. Yeah. That's that's a sign of something. I, I couldn't tell you the last time I called my mother. Well, and I think I think he called her, you know, <laughs> daily while the while he was there. Just well, that's, check that's going a little too far. No, but just checking in, saying, Hey mom, yeah, yeah. this trip is awesome. Um and maybe he's checking in more for them mm-hmm. than than himself. You know what I mean? One of those things where it's like, ah, she's gonna be a little worried. Um, so, cause it's not very clear if he lives on campus or not. Right. It, and I'm assuming that he didn't. And the reason why I'm assuming that is cause you would think that, um, with him going missing that they would, uh, looked into his dorm room and possibly, you know, looked for clues there. Yeah. And, and I don't know his driving situation, but his father dropped him off so that he could go on this trip. I don't know if he was still living at home. Yeah, but that um, makes sense because you don't want your car to sit in a parking lot. Exactly. Over the weekend. But I'm I'm with you, Captain. I think walked away makes about as much sense to me as the suicide thing. Right. I think you could put those both at the highly unlikely end of the spectrum. And as far as every report that I've read, there's no activity on his cell phone, no activity on his credit cards or, or bank cards. 
since his disappearance. You're exactly right. Now, one thing I want to throw out there, Captain, there is an interview with his father where his father's stating, you know, you know, Jesse, he's kind of speaking to his son and saying, Jesse, if there was something out there that you wanted to try, something you wanted to pursue, that you wanted to go off elsewhere and and, and live out some kind of different life, um, we're totally on board with that. You know, we whatever you want to do, we just want to make sure that you're safe and you're happy and you're healthy and we would accept you no matter what. Uh, you wanted to try whatever you wanted to to do with your life. Just please let us know that you're okay. Now, I don't think that that should point to the high probability that he decided to walk away. I don't mm-hmm. think that points to parents believing that he was of that type. I think it's just desperation on the behalf of the parents after years of having their son uh, lost with no answers there. You, you start grasping at straws at some point. Yeah, I mean, basically, if it gets brought up multiple times in conversation you go hey look let's put this out to the universe and if we did do something wrong that we're not aware of uh let's bring it to you know his attention mm-hmm. you know maybe they that's when you start questioning yourself as a parent you know maybe was i too strict you know were we pushing him too hard was there a bunch of pressure on him that we we weren't aware of uh so i think they just did it you know you know just in case yeah i think so all right captain we are almost at an hour here we're running out of time today i think that let's talk about the more likely possibilities of what could have happened to young jesse ross on a part 2 episode so until then check us out on instagram facebook or twitter at true crime garage and don't forget you can check us out on untapped as well cheers to you colonel and to everybody out there all over the world be good be kind and don't litter If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.